church. And I want to welcome you in the name of Christ. Glad that you are with us uh, this evening. This is our evening service. And we've been preaching through the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Uh, and our text today is about the uh, priestly office of Christ. And so that is, uh, we will be reading from Hebrews 7. Uh, before we do that, let me pray for the reading of God's word. Would you pray silently with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this uh, great word from uh, the book of Hebrews that reminds us of the high office of our Savior, Lord, as the high priest in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would make clear uh, this text that is full of um, things that are ancient to us, but uh, ever so present and relevant in our lives. Father, would you encourage us through this word? Would you even change our hearts and our actions, Lord, more to resemble those of your Son? We pray it in his name. Amen. Hear the reading of God's word from Hebrews 7, and then our response will be, thanks be to God. We're on page 5 of the bulletin. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that, tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you're a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you're a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. For the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son, who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. So I, I had this incident happen to me uh, in a bar in Lawrenceville. 
Uh, we had a men's group that was meeting there, and we were going to play pool. And I arrived early uh, to find that a pool league was playing that night instead. Um, but I had a, a guy from the pool league ask me to play, and I did. And to my surprise, I actually did okay. I've never played in a pool league, and I was intimidated. Um, but as we were playing, he talked to me, and, and I talked with him, and, and he asked me what I do. And I said, I'm a pastor. And that always feels a little awkward. And, and generally when I tell people that, when they ask me what I do, and I tell them I'm a pastor, two things tend to happen. The first thing that almost always happens is that the, the person I'm talking with immediately starts apologizing to me for swearing. That always happens. But the second thing is either really awkward or uh, really great. And this moment was really awkward. So this, this man, when I told him that he, after apologizing for swearing, he put his hands together like this, and he bowed before me, and then he said, thank you, Father. And I said, I'm not a father. Um, so what happened in that interchange? Well, what happened was he thought, when I said I'm a pastor, that I was a, I was a Catholic priest, and I'm not. Most of us, when we actually read this scripture, we hear the word priest, probably what comes into our mind is a, a Catholic priest. And, and I'll explain some differences throughout the sermon of the differences between a Catholic priest and a Presbyterian pastor. Um, but there was something to be learned in this fellow's actions. He treated me in that moment as holier than he was. Um, and I'm not. I'm not more perfect than him. Uh, I'm not more powerful. I'm a sinner, just like he is. And I'm a human, just like he is. And that's part of what this passage is about. You see, the Levitical priesthood, and I'll talk more about what that is later, but the Levitical priesthood was not perfect either. There is only one perfect priest, and that is Jesus Christ. So it begs a question for us, though. What is the role in the character of a priest now? How do we understand this passage today? Uh, what the author is saying in our passage is that the priesthood has ended because Christ has come. Christ is the only one we should bow to because he's the only one who is perfect, who can guarantee his word and has the power to save. And, and those are my three points. He's the only one who's perfect. He's the only one who can guarantee his word. And he's the only one who has power to save. Let's look at his perfection. So I want to begin by helping us understand the argument uh, the author is presenting in this passage. And I realize it can be a bit confusing when you first read through it. But I think if we put these pieces in order, it'll become clear. So the author's argument goes like this. There was, there was this man named Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek is a bit of a mysterious figure in the Bible. So Hebrews 7.3 says this about Melchizedek. Melchizedek is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues forever. Melchizedek. So theologians in the Old Testament might call Melchizedek a theophany, uh, which is a special word where we see God embodied in a person. In this case, Melchizedek uh, is is mysterious, but he's also a powerful figure. Um, so the author asks this question, verse 11, if Melchizedek 
was a great priest, godlike even. Why have the Levitical priesthood at all? Now, you ask, well, what was the Levitical priesthood? So we have two layers to uncover. I want you to remember that the Levites, the Levitical priesthood, the Levites were one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they made up the people of God, and the whole job of the Levites was to be priests. So just thinking for a moment of our larger question that we're asking, you know, do I need a priest? How do we understand priests today? Well, God established one-twelfth of the people to take the responsibilities of the priesthood, which were to offer sacrifices, to intercede on behalf of the people, which means to pray, to teach the word of God, to shepherd the people, to absolve sin, and then to present um, those people clean to God. There were cleanliness laws. So God thought that that was necessary, to have one-twelfth of his people do this, to have this perpetual office of priests of the tribe of Levi to minister to God's people. Except, was it perpetual? Was it meant to go on forever? Was that the way it was supposed to be? And that is the question that the author is asking. Is perfection attainable through the Levitical priesthood? And the answer is no. No, it's not. In fact, it was never meant to be. That's his point. So how do we know this? Well, he quotes Psalm 110, verse 4. He says, uh, that's where the author quotes um, and says, this is Jesus. You, that is referring to Jesus, are a priest forever after the order of who? Well, not the Levites, of Melchizedek. This theophany, this godlike figure who foreshadows Christ. So why is this important uh, for ancient Jewish readers? And the answer is perfection. It's perfection. So for, let me follow this uh, logic for a second. Did you know that in Leviticus 16.6, uh, Aaron, if you remember Aaron in the Bible, who was not just a priest, but he was a high priest. Aaron was called by God to offer a bull for the atonement of not just his sins, but the sins of his whole family. Now, we uh, don't have high priests anymore, but I want you to imagine with me what this would be like. So I want you to imagine that the temple system is back. Okay, You need to go to the temple in Jerusalem, and God's spirit physically resides in that temple. And once a year, the priest goes into the temple and actually stands in the presence of the living God. So you might feel a little strange being around this person. This guy is a big deal. I mean, how many people do you know that stand in the presence of God's Spirit? Now, what is our temptation with this guy? Well, I want you to hear this. It is always our temptation to make out of powerful people either deities or demons. It is always our temptation to make out of powerful people either deities or demons. Whether it's a Christian speaker or a writer or a leader, we want to make him something superhuman. I don't need to get into superheroes. That is like the thing of our day. But it's the same idea. It's the same phenomenon. And guess what? That high priest who stood in the presence of God sinned. 
He sinned and a bull had to be sacrificed yearly to make atonement for his sin and his family's sin. The Levitical priesthood was not perfect. And God never meant it to be perfect. God never intended the Levitical priest to be the end of the story. The Levitical priesthood, however, in its imperfection, pointed to a priest who was perfect, which is Christ. I want you to look at verses 26 to 28 with me. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So although we try to make gods out of man, there was ever and only one man who was also God. So I remember a time around when I was 18, um, a horrible thing happened in the church that I was attending at the time. Uh, The youth pastor of that church was charged with uh, a grave abuse of power. Um, And I can share it more specifically, maybe in person, um, in our youth group. And it was a vulnerable time in my life. I was changing a lot, uh, both in my faith and my understanding. But what happened to that youth group was that a youth group of over 100 people went down to two people which was me and my best friend, and then it was just my friend because I left. And I went into college holding a hair's width of faith my freshman year at the University of Pittsburgh. And uh, I was functionally not a Christian. Now, that hair's width of faith was enough. The Lord called me back to himself after about a year of rebellion on my part. But when I reflected back on that story and what happened in that church... And maybe you've heard a similar story. Um, But I asked the question of myself, why did I leave the whole church for a year because of that man's action? What was going on in me? Why did I leave God's holy church that he says is good and good for me because of that man's action? And this was my answer. I looked at that pastor at the time, that youth pastor, as perfect. I did. I deified my youth pastor, I equated him with Jesus, and it was a huge mistake. And I forgot that that man, too, is a sinner, as much as I am. So to say it another way, my faith was misplaced. I put my faith in a man, and I should have put it in a God. Now, later in the sermon, we're going to get at how God uses church leaders as well as the whole church. Uh, to live out a priestly call. But for now, it's right for me to challenge us to, to look to Christ alone. To ask if there is somewhere or something in, in our lives where our faith is misplaced. So uh, just to list a few, is your faith in the living God or in a charismatic speaker? Maybe a prolific Christian writer or an actor or a professor or in this political season a political leader 
Jesus is perfect. No one else. Your instinct to want a perfect leader is right. It's actually a good instinct. But it is only found in Christ. So, the first thing we want in a priestly figure is perfection. And it's right. But the second thing is a guarantee. And this is what we're going to look at now. We want a guarantee. We want a priestly figure who can assure us. Who can assure us that what he says will happen, will happen. Now, I need to make a distinction when I say that. This is very apropos because the Steelers just played. So I want you to imagine that you are uh, Mike Tomlin. Uh, For those who don't know, he's the Steelers head coach. And I want you to imagine you need to hire, I don't know, um, a new quarterback. And you have some free agent. And he says to you, Tomlin, can you guarantee me a spot on your team? Um, And you know what Tomlin says? He says, no, I can't. I can't guarantee you why. And the answer is because there's someone above him who could overrule him. And that man's name is Dan Rooney. And the Rooneys own the Steelers, not Tomlin. So much in the same way, a Levitical priest could do a lot of things. He could assure you that your sin is forgiven. He could even offer sacrifices for your sin. He could pray for you to sin no more. He could exhort you with the word of God. But everything that this priest did was derivative. It wasn't him on his own. So I want you to think about it this way. You hire the quarterback. Who makes the hire? Is it Tomlin or Rooney? Well, really, it's Rooney. Dan Rooney owns the Steelers. Who forgives your sin? Is it a priest or is it Jesus? Well, it's Jesus. Who can guarantee your entrance into heaven? Is it a priest or is it Jesus? It's Jesus. And then lastly, who can guarantee a covenant, a relationship with the living God, a priest or Jesus? So the author calls in our text, this relationship with God, a covenant. Would you you read with me verses 20 to 22? And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you're a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. So all a priest can do is convey God's word to you. All a preacher can do is to preach God's word to you. It is God's word that is the guarantee, not man. God can guarantee his word, he can guarantee the covenant with you because he is the owner of it all. So do you remember um, earlier in the service we had the time of the assurance of pardon and the, uh, the confession and the assurance of um, forgiveness and maybe some of you today confessed your sin but you felt like you're not really forgiven maybe that was your experience maybe you have doubts and I want to encourage you here if God says in his word that he forgives you if you confess your sin to him then it does not matter how you feel you are forgiven if God says in his word that he will 
preserve you to the end, even if you have just a hair's width of faith, then he will preserve you to the end. He is the guarantor, not a priest, not an imperfect leader like me. So probably the best illustration I can give uh, you of this, and you'll remember it, is where Jesus says in the Gospels, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why does he say this? Well, you cannot promise anything. Not really. I mean, you could promise me, for instance, that you're going to stop over to see me tomorrow, but you don't know that this isn't my last day. I might not be here tomorrow. Now, of course, we make promises, and it's good and it's right to make promises. I promised to love my wife when I married her, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Uh, But even in that promise, I want you to notice that we make that promise before God. We acknowledge that we're making this promise before the God who is sovereign and can change it. So why does it matter that Jesus is our guarantor? Well, there's two reasons. The first is that we're tempted towards control. We're tempted towards control. You want to be the guarantor. You want the control over your life. You want the ability to make things happen, and we can't. Jesus is the only one who can guarantee a relationship with the living God. He's the only one who can guarantee a future. He's the only one who can guarantee our next breath. So let me encourage you that there is actually tremendous freedom in letting go of control in placing it safely in the hands of Christ. Because he gives you a guarantee. Now second, why does it matter that he's our guarantor? So I grew up Catholic. um, And one big difference between uh, me as a Presbyterian pastor and a Catholic priest is that I do not absolve your sin. It's not part of my function. I point to Jesus. If you confessed your sin to me, I would point to Christ who absolves your sin, who forgives you. Um, But I don't do it. Why? Well, let's look at verse 27. Since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. Many of you struggle to believe that you are forgiven. But I want you to push, push you into these words. He did this once for all. If you are in Christ, you have been forgiven, and you can be assured by the guarantor of a better covenant that your sin is far from you as the east is from the west. You can't control your life, and you can't control God's grace to you. You are forgiven. So, we require perfection, we require a guarantee, someone who can keep their word, and then lastly, we require that person to be powerful. And I want to just tell you these are all good things that we want in a priest, as long as they're in the right person. Let's read verses 15 to 16, and we're going back to Melchizedek. So starting in verse 15, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. So why is Jesus our only priest? Jesus is the only one powerful enough to save. Notice uh, verses 16 and verse 12. They both talk about uh, a change in the law, a legal requirement. And you see, a Levitical priest 
going back in time to the Levites, a Levitical priest, you actually had to descend uh, by generation from that tribe to be a priest. You had to meet certain requirements to be a priest. But if you look at verse 18, the author says, for on the one hand, a former commandment. So that was, those are those former commandments about the, the Levitical priesthood. That is set aside because of, these are strong words, it's weakness. And it says it's uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So do you hear that language? The Mosaic law required certain commands for priests when it was in effect, but because Jesus came, it lost its power. It's gone. If you are in Christ, that power is in you. It's not of you. It doesn't derive from you. But it, is, it resides in you. So let me say it another way. You don't need a priest because through Christ, God has come near to you. The priest used to be in the middle and now he is in his people. So where before under the Mosaic law, there was a distance. Now uh, his spirit, which once resided in the temple, resides in his people. So this is uh, good news to us. Because part of being so near is that he knows you. Part of a priest's job was to know his people. And the Lord knows you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows your deepest sorrows. He knows every tear that you have shed. He knows your darkest secrets, your worst sins, your most wonderful achievements. He knows you. He sees you and he loves you. So Christ is a priest unlike any other priest. Jesus is the only one powerful enough to minister to you. To be the person you need in your life. To care for you. And to challenge you in your sin. And point you to Christ. To himself. So I've had this reoccurring prayer in my life. And I want to share it with you. Because I can be tempted when someone sins against me. Or it's just part of my job sometimes as a pastor. To talk with people about their sin. And I have, I have learned on my better days, instead of first going and confronting that person with their sin, I will pray this prayer. I will pray, Lord, would you by your Holy Spirit please show them their sin on your own? And it's, for some reason, it is one of the most answered prayers in my life. Almost miraculously, I will have an interaction with this person and they will say, you know what? I just realized that I was sinful in this way. It happens so, so often for me. Why do I pray this prayer? Because Jesus Christ is a better priest than I am. He's better at confronting people about their sin. And he's better at reminding them of the grace that is theirs. So in the same way as I cannot convict people of their sin, I also can't save people. So there is only one person who is powerful enough to save, and that is Christ. Would you read with me uh, verse 25? The author says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So that language, to the uttermost, it only occurs one other time in Scripture. 
And it means that Christ will save absolutely. So to read uh, what a commentator said on this, he said, it means that Christ will save in the most comprehensive sense. He saves from all that humanity needs saving from. So look, at the heart of every man, every woman, every child is a longing for a savior. Whether you admit it or not, we all have a deep longing to attach ourselves to some hero. Someone who is, uh, someone we can look up to, who we can imitate, who we can deify. There is something in us that longs to do this. And I'll tell you, that instinct is actually a good instinct. It's a right instinct if you put it in the right person. If you pick the wrong person, you're in a lot of trouble. And the only person who will never let you down is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He can save to the uttermost. So I want to prove it to you. And here's another Steelers illustration. How fast did we move from Mason Rudolph to Duck Hodges in Pittsburgh? I mean, in one, one moment, we were all for Mason Rudolph. He was our man. He was going to fix our problems. And then it didn't work out. All of a sudden, Duck Hodges comes on, and we're wearing duck hats, and they're making duck cookies. You see this on the news. Overnight, overnight we change our heart's desire for a leader. Our hearts are tempted to cling to a leader. Someone who will win. And it's a good instinct. But only if it's in the right person. A priest is a leader. A priest is someone you trust. Someone who visits your home. Someone who knows your children. Someone who offers sacrifices on your behalf. Who hears your deepest sin. And then who presents you clean to God. Now maybe this makes you uncomfortable. Maybe you came from a background where uh, you would feel uncomfortable having a priest this involved in your life. Trusting another human this much. And I have two things to say on this. The first is our text clearly shows that the priesthood has ended. There's a difference between a priest and a pastor. For instance, I do not perform sacrifices. Um, I don't follow laws for the Levitical priesthood. I don't descend from, as long as far as I know, I don't descend from the tribe of Levi. Um, I don't worship in a temple. A lot has changed for a Presbyterian pastor because Christ has come. But many things stay the same between our roles. A priest, a Levitical priest in my role now. Everyone needs a pastor in their life. Everyone needs a priestly figure. In their life. So where before priesthood was in man. Now Christ is our high priest. But he works through pastors. He works through people like me. And people like you. We all need someone to visit with us. We all need someone to pray with us. To cry with us. To encourage us with God's word. To remind us that we are forgiven. To point us to Christ. We all need this. But you also need someone who's perfect. You need somebody who can guarantee his word. You need someone who's powerful to save. So let me end with this. There is a gospel third way. So what do I mean? I mean on the one sense of the spectrum, maybe pendulum, you have you and a priest alone with no God. On the other side of the pendulum, maybe you have you and Jesus And no church. The gospel third way Peter gives us 
in 1 Peter 2, and it's the priesthood of all believers. That is that Jesus is the only priest, but that he expresses his love, his care, his affection for you through the body of Christ, through the believers. So let me say it this way, and maybe you, maybe you didn't know this, but to a small degree, we are all pastors. Let me ask you this. Have you ever cared for someone when they're sick? Have you ever encouraged someone with Scripture when they were doubting? Have you ever prayed for someone to get well? Have you read Scripture to a friend? Have you listened to someone confess their sin to you? You are pastoring. Pastoring is an office, but pastoring is also a spiritual gift. And to a degree, we all share in that priestly call. Now, why is it that the Bible says, confess your sins to one another, as well as to Christ? Is Jesus not enough? Yes, Jesus is enough. But he delights to work through his people. He delights to work through people like you and me, that we would be a kind of priest to one another and to the nations. Now, I am not saying that we're all going to start uh, rotating the pulpit and we'll just have uh, different preachers come up throughout the week. But I am saying that you are given a gift by the Holy Spirit to be a kind of priest, a kind of shepherd, a kind of person that cares for and encourages each other. Would you be open to the Spirit of Jesus working through you in this way, to your neighbor, to a stranger, to a family member, to a friend. Jesus is the perfect one. Jesus is the guarantor. Jesus is the one who is powerful to save. But I want us to learn this gospel third way. Christ our high priest, ministering through his people. Let's pray.